Uh, good evening, y'all. My name is Jason. If I don't know you, um, I'd love to meet you. I'm um, one of the pastors here at the house, and uh, it's a tremendous honor um, to be here tonight and to get to declare um, the good news of the kingdom of God uh, from the scriptures. Um, tonight, we're looking at uh, one of the hardest sayings of Jesus. And as a rule, when Jesus is speaking comforting words, please let them be comforting. And when Jesus is speaking hard words, let them be hard. Take him at his word and search for what he has to offer us within it. In our passage this evening, I think it is precisely within the context of a hard word that we have to access hope. So let's pray. Um, Hallelujah. God, you are the one who sets us free in your son Jesus. And we praise you for him and give you thanks for him. Would you send your spirit right now? That the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is what we've been reading through this semester, Jesus has been doing... um, Actually, let me stop real quick. Can I change this mic? I'm hearing like a terrible echo up here. Can you guys, is there something I can do up here? Not that. I'm going to turn this uh, gain up a little bit. Can you guys turn it down? It does? Okay, great. I'm hearing like crazy echo, but okay, let's keep going. Okay, okay, great. Um, In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been doing um, almost exclusively his work among the Israelites in and around this region called Galilee. If you read the Gospels, you'll hear of Galilee a ton in the early parts of the Gospels. But here, in the 24th 24th verse of of chapter 7 of Mark, Jesus gets up and he emphatically, it says he arose and he emphatically leaves the region of Galilee. And he goes northwest toward the Mediterranean Sea to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. And this is some 30 miles on foot. Okay, but more important than the distance is the reputation of this region, Tyre and Sidon. This is the region where Elijah was contending with Jezebel. These are the peoples who who joined forces to fight against the Israelites during the Maccabean Revolt. The, The most famous Jewish historian in antiquity says that these people in Tyre and Sidon were notoriously our bitterest enemies. Why is Jesus going here? And when he arrives, he goes into this house, but he doesn't want anyone to know. And again, we might ask, why, why does he go into some house? Like, why does he go 30 miles away, go into somebody's house, hoping nobody knows, and hide there? And, and the text doesn't tell us this. There are some clues because of what we, we see happen in the story, but the fact is the text doesn't tell us. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he wanted to find a place to rest with his disciples. Whose house did he go into? We do not know. But he went into this house hoping to stay hidden. But apparently... News of him had spread even tens of miles away until this woman, whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit, came and fell down at his feet. And we are told straight away that she is not an Israelite. She's a Gentile, which means essentially somebody who's not an Israelite. And furthermore, she was Syrophoenician by birth. And and there's this intent to make sure that as a reader, you know that this woman is about as far from cultural importance to a Jewish rabbi as anyone could be. 
if you, if you don't know, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. The author here wants us to know that this woman is an outsider to the Israelites. To the perspective of the religious leaders, she is marginalized. Not only is she not one of our people, she belongs to a group of people who are enemies of our people. And furthermore, in that day and age, a woman falling at the feet of a male rabbi in a hidden home would have been scandalous. All the more so just because Jesus wants to be alone. And as a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, which recounts the same story, the, disciple, the disciples of Jesus who were with him actually encouraged Jesus to tell her, to, 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 they actually encouraged him to tell her to be quiet and to cast her out, to go away. Well, there she is at his feet, and she begs him to cast this demon possessing her daughter out. And I want you to pretend, I don't know if when we read the scriptures, you really check in and listen. Like so far, I'm just literally telling you, unpacking some of what we just read, okay? But, but if you did listen, I actually want you to pretend for a minute you don't know what he's about to say. Just given what you know about Jesus generally, like what you think about this, this Jewish rabbi from Nazareth, like what do you think about him generally from your impressions? How do you think Jesus Christ is going to respond to somebody whose child is possessed and who's thrown themselves at the feet of Jesus begging for healing? What do you think Jesus Christ is going to say? I don't think you could guess. Because his response is one of the most offensive things on its face that we could read in the Gospels. I, I say one of because I think Jesus telling us to hate our own life is more offensive. I just don't think we believe him. If we were to take his words seriously, there's some hard words that he has to say. But when he calls a woman a dog, that's a hard one to dodge. You see? The text, by the way, is right there. It's in, in Mark chapter 7. I encourage you to read it um, there. Or, or if you look at our website, um, you can see the text right there. Check it out. Okay, what's going on? What is Jesus doing in this moment? Jesus does something surprising here, and I don't want you to miss it. He gives this woman a parable. The fact that Jesus would respond to her with a kind of teaching while she's kneeling at his feet says a thing, even as his words are saying a thing. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is a parable. In this one-sentence parable, he's comparing bread to his word and to his life, and children and dogs to the Israelites and to the Gentiles. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I don't know what you would do if you heard Jesus speaking to you this way. Imagine that you know he's trying to stay hidden and you know his friends, you know, what, what they think about you is that you shouldn't get near him. But you're so desperate and you know that he's the only one who can help. And so you interrupt his peace and you throw yourself at his feet and you hear his disciples to tell you to be quiet and to tell Jesus, cast her out. But interestingly, there you notice that he doesn't tell you to be quiet. And interestingly, you notice he doesn't cast you out. And strange and offensive as it is, you also notice that he's formally addressing you in a kind of teaching right there in front of his disciples. Full of something which must be like courage or humility and death. 
infinitely filled with desperation for her child. This Gentile woman takes any space Jesus leaves her and she finds it and she fills it. And so she responds not with rejection or dejection or offense, which would be understandable, but with a wild and holy, humble agreement. Her first word back when Jesus says that is yes. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she says. Y'all, this is nuts. This is something we have not seen. Jesus just compares her to a dog. I don't know how you or I would respond, but this saint responds by saying, okay. Okay, so I'm a dog, but at least the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. I'm reminded of Psalm 84 where the psalmist says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Could you and I say the same thing? Do we know that what we have in do we know what we have in Jesus? Do we know what God has created us to have, to hold, to be? Do we know that that is so much better than anything else in this world that crumbs from his table are better than feasts in the world? Do you know that celibacy is better than sexual morality? Do you know that an ounce an ounce a baby step of forgiveness so much better than a lifetime of bitterness. That vulnerability motivated by love is better than a whole kingdom of power and control where no one can hurt you. That even getting the door for people as they enter the kingdom of heaven is better than sitting at the head of any other table. This woman looking at her daughter knew nothing else in the world is going to heal her daughter. Even if it meant nothing to her, but just for her daughter, even if it meant that her daughter was healed and she had to go without, she would take a scrap. Even that's better than anything else in this world. There's no other hope for my daughter. Jesus tells her that he has some priorities to attend to because you see, God has made promises to the people of Israel and God's yes means yes. And so his word and his work are going to go out first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Children first and then the dogs. And rather than getting offended at this prioritizing and this sort of honor God wants to have for the people he's made covenant promises to, if that bothers you, it's a whole other kind of teaching, but potentially you could imagine how my kids would feel if they saw me prioritize somebody else other than them. Maybe, anyway. Rather than getting offended at this priority and seeing herself as someone who's second class and deciding, you know, she wanted no part of it because of that. She had the humility to realize that she would take second, I'll take third, I'll take fourth, I'll take fifth class. It's better to be a dog in your kingdom than a king somewhere else, Jesus. I will take the last seat at your table as long as I can be at your table, Jesus. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Martin Luther, the famous 
uh, reformer marveled at this woman. She was like an exemplar of faith for him. And, and he said, isn't, this is his quote, he, he reads what she says back to Jesus and he goes, isn't that a masterpiece? She traps Christ in his own words. She notices that he didn't, he didn't say dogs won't eat. He said the children need to eat first. And so listening to that word, she goes, okay. If they need to eat first, fine, I want the crumbs. And he responds, for this statement, the demon has left your daughter. And Jesus instantly heals her child. And when she goes home, she finds her child well. Okay, so that's the story. Those are the words on the stage. And this is maybe an analogy will help us here. Those are the words like on the front of this stage. Okay, but for a minute, I want us to look at like the stage itself. At the context, the setting, the scene kind of all around this story. Because there are some interesting things going on that help inform what's actually going on with these words. Okay, if you've been reading along in the gospel according to Mark, the only other time Jesus was by himself and interrupted was, was from the, the disciples of Jesus at the end of Mark chapter 1. They came and found him when he was trying to be alone with God. And in response to this kind of interruption at the end of Mark 1, the mission of Jesus begins to take a whole new direction. So too in this story. From this moment on, Jesus' words and work go out to the Gentiles. And the only other person up to this point who has thrown themselves at the feet of Jesus asking for a miracle was the leader of a Jewish synagogue. And so here, notice this woman is in the same place that up till now only the disciples of Jesus have been. And she's in the same place where only a religious leader of Israel has been. And Jesus, who up to now has only taught parables to the children of Israel, is now teaching this Gentile woman in parables, sitting right there at his feet. So there she is, in this place of a religious leader of Israel, in this place of a disciple, in this place of the people of God. And Jesus has the hardest words so far to her, and she leans in. She may be even challenging him back. The disciples and the religious leaders miss the point of Jesus' parables. We're only in chapter 7. It's not far to read back. The religious leaders and the Israelites, when Jesus teaches in parables, they're confounded. When Jesus, in this very chapter, when Jesus is unpacking some of his teachings, for the religious leaders who study the law, they miss the point. But she, in response to one solid and strong sentence of a parable, gets it. And she moves toward him rather, rather than away. And, and the Gospel of Matthew records Jesus marveling at her faith. That's an interesting note. That Jesus is like, what faith? She is reminiscent, one scholar says, of Jacob wrestling with God and prevailing. And here, we find the first person in the Gospel of Mark understanding a parable of Jesus. That's what's happening on this stage. That's what's going on in this story. The words of Jesus are strange and offensive. If, if you, maybe some of you have bought this or believed this and there's no shame in this if this has been taught to you, I just want you to know it is not true that Jesus' words just always make sense and are easy and if you just would read them, you know, if you read them, 
They will mess with your grid. These words are hard and strange, but those words are parked in a story about a champion of faith. And the whole story marks a new direction for the ministry and work of Jesus. His own people have rejected his teachings, and now he has teachings and life and miracles to offer the Gentiles to the outsiders. The words of Jesus may be offensive, but what actually happens that day is liberating and it marks out hope for the world. Jesus comes to his own people and they did not receive him. So what does that mean for us? Well, here we have this woman representing everybody else to the uttermost. Because remember, she's as far from the cultural center in a Jewish rabbi's mind as she could be. Not just an outsider, an enemy, whose daughter is possessed by evil. And she's willing in her desperation to just take crumbs from his table, and he says yes. And more than that, he makes her an example of the faith. And so for some of you, perhaps it's important to know that all of your Bible knowledge, all your striving to be holy, can actually keep you from intimacy with the Lord if you're trusting in them instead of trusting in Him. Think of that epic poem of love in 1 Corinthians 13. If you haven't read it, I commend to you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? It's freaking phenomenal. Um, And and this is just a brief paraphrase of the first four verses there, okay? But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all knowledge, if I have all prophecies, if I have faith to move mountains, if I give away everything I own, even giving up my body to be burned, which quite frankly captures every single one of our attempts at righteousness in this world. Words, visions, faith, action, sacrifice, captures it all. If I do all these things, but I have not love, I am nothing. The religious leaders of the day who spent all their time poring over text and remembering stories and trying to be holy, they were confounded and angry with Jesus when he had challenging things to say. May that not be true with us. And the disciples who spent all their time with him were confused and misunderstood the nature of his work. Because they were, why? Because they were expecting something else? Why? But this one woman who no one expected sees him for who he is. She recognizes him as Lord and Messiah. She recognizes that the crumbs in his kingdom are worth more than the feasts of the world. And Jesus commends her faith in him. She didn't have training. She didn't have the background. She didn't have the cultural status. There is no mention of her virtues. There is no mention of her sin. All we know is that she was desperate before the Lord, saying, I'll take a crumb. And Jesus calls that faith. One scholar says this story helps us to see that faith is holding on to Jesus for dear life like a drowning person to a life raft. Believing Jesus is good even when his words do not seem that way to me. For those of you who have never believed, well, this is your moment. Jesus doesn't require anything brushed up or put together. He'll do that. He doesn't require it of you at the start. A humble and contrite heart he will not despise. 
He will lift up the lowly. His kingdom is for the poor in spirit. The meek will inherit the earth. You need nothing other than to throw yourself at his feet. For my brother and sister Christians, do not forget your first love. Do not fall more in love with your own righteousness, your own ethics, your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own knowledge, your own versions of virtue, and forget that Jesus Christ is the true object of all our desire. And finally, if the Lord is saying something to you which is hard, lean in. It's unlikely that he's saying something to you that's harder than he did to this woman on that day. That day when all the church, so to speak, was telling her to be quiet and to get out and he calls her a dog right there in their midst. Maybe Jesus is saying something harder to you than that. But most of us, that's not true. And she, this champion of faith, this New Testament Jacob, who wrestles with God and prevails, let her be an example to you to trust how good our Lord is even when His words are hard. Even the crumbs from His table are better than feasts anywhere else. We're going to take a minute or two to just spend in some silent reflection and prayer. We do this every week um, after, we, after the sermon. Um, just to allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart and pray however you feel led um, to confess whatever you need to confess. Um, there will be some, maybe folks in the back. Josh, maybe you want to head back there? Um, if you would like to pray with somebody, Josh would love to pray with you back there. Um, I encourage you to think about if the Lord is saying something hard to, you, hard to you, what does it look like to say yes to Him right now? If you feel like he's only offering you crumbs from his table, I encourage you to consider whether a feast anywhere else is actually better. You can also pray for a feast in his kingdom.